2015, three treasure seekers from Florida found and discovered a trove of more than $4.5 million worth of Spanish gold coins, 300 years to the day after a fleet of ships were sunk during a hurricane as they were sailing from Cuba to Spain. They recovered 350 gold coins that were being transported to the king of Spain. William Bartlett was the diver on this team that discovered uh, the treasure, and he declined to share when interviewed how much he received, what his percentage was of this amazing find. Instead, being interviewed, he just said, treasure seeking is my hobby. He said, I am just a guy on a boat living the dream. And treasure seeking is big business today. Books and games and movies and television shows are uh, all about treasure seeking. And you can find them uh, very quickly. Evidently, many people not only like Indiana Jones, they want to be Indiana Jones. And God's Word is a treasure chest, a treasure trove of God's wisdom and God's truth and God's blessings for our lives. The more we search God's Word, the more we discover priceless treasures of God's truth for us to take and apply in our lives and live out day after day after day. And I want us to look at one of these priceless treasures of God's truth this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, open them to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to begin our treasure hunt, our treasure search, if you will, this morning. Now, I need to give you a little bit of a background. I need to set the scene for you so uh, you will know and I will know and we will all be able to identify this treasure when we come upon it here in God's Word so that we can then understand it and apply it in our day-to-day lives. So let me set the scene for you as we uh, make our way uh, in this chapter and as we follow this treasure map of chapter 10 to this treasure that God has for us uh, this morning. Uh, Paul planted the church in Corinth during the second missionary journey, uh, and he spent 18 months uh, preaching and teaching and ministering in Corinth. Paul's plan uh, was after his time there in Corinth, he went to Ephesus and then he traveled to Jerusalem, thereby ending his second missionary journey. We know that as Paul was making his way to Ephesus and then to Jerusalem, he heard that uh, the church in Corinth, after he left them, uh, began struggling with some immorality and sin in the church. And so he wrote a letter to them, uh, rebuking them of the sin and correcting the sin. He continued on to Jerusalem, thereby ending the second missionary journey 
uh, that he had embarked on. After a period of time and rest, he embarked on the third missionary journey. All these missionary journeys we see recorded for us in the book of Acts. He began the third missionary journey, and he made his way to Ephesus. And the plan for the third missionary journey was Paul would stay in Ephesus. He would teach and preach and build up the church in Ephesus for a good period of time. And then following the Lord's leadership, he planned to go up to Macedonia, then back down to Corinth, uh, and then back to Jerusalem, thereby completing the third missionary journey because he needed to get back to Jerusalem on this third trip because he needed to get the money to the church in Jerusalem that he was collecting for the church in Jerusalem from the churches in Ephesus and Macedonia and Corinth because the church in Jerusalem was in desperate need, financial. They were in poverty. They were dealing with difficulties. And so he was going around to the other churches to help this sister church out in need. So Paul is in Ephesus, third missionary journey. And Paul, while in Ephesus, uh, heard that there was some problems going on in the church in Corinth that he had planted, that he loved. And they actually sent a letter to him with some questions for him to answer. And so Paul sat down and he wrote 1 Corinthians and sent 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth by way of Timothy. While in Ephesus, Paul later heard some more uh, of uh, problems going on in the church in Corinth, even after he sent 1 Corinthians to them. This time, the problems involved false apostles, false teachers who had come to Corinth, and they were uh, undermining Paul's efforts in preaching and teaching the gospel and planning and founding the church on God's truth. And they were persuading and leading uh, the church members there in Corinth away from God, away from the gospel of Jesus, away from following Paul, uh, so that they would follow them, the false apostles, instead. Paul mentioned this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 13, he says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So Paul understood what was going on here with these false apostles. And so Paul, under the leadership of the Lord, made a decision to make a change in his plans. And he left at that point, and he went to Corinth from Ephesus. And he went to confront the false apostles and to deal with the church in Corinth. And this turned out to be a very painful visit for Paul because when he got to the church in Corinth and he began to interact with them, he realized that they no longer supported him, that they had become disloyal to him, that they uh, turned away from him and the gospel of Jesus. They actually openly questioned Paul. It was a very painful, difficult visit for Paul. And so Paul left Corinth, humiliated, Paul left Corinth and he went back to Ephesus, humbled, humiliated by the reception that he had received, heartbroken by what was going on in Corinth, but he decided to leave and he went back to Ephesus. Paul trusted that God would convict the members of the church in Corinth to turn back to God, to turn back to the gospel of Jesus and to turn away from the false teachers. Once back in Ephesus, he then sat down and he wrote uh, a severe letter, as Paul said in his own words, a severe letter of rebuke and correction to the church at Corinth. He got back, he removed himself from the situation, got back to Ephesus, and then he sat down and he wrote a severe letter to the church in Corinth, rebuking them and correcting them of their sin. And he sent that letter to the church at Corinth by way of Titus. 
another one of his sons in the faith. And so Titus left, and he took that letter uh, to the church at Corinth, and Paul was very much looking forward to hearing the report from Titus about how the church responded to his severe letter. Well, we continue reading and find that there was a riot that happened in Ephesus, which forced Paul to leave Ephesus, and Paul left and went up the coast, the Mediterranean coast, and he went up to Troas, a city there, and God opened wide a door for ministry there in Troas for Paul, but Paul was really specifically looking for Titus. He wanted to find Titus. He wanted to hook up with Titus because Titus had delivered the letter to Corinth, and he wanted to hear how the church at Corinth responded because he loved the church in Corinth, and he was heartbroken over what was going on there, but Titus was not in Troas. So Paul continued and he made his way up to Macedonia. There in Macedonia, he met up with Titus. Titus had come back to Macedonia. He and Paul met and Titus shared with Paul the wonderful, the fantastic, the joyful news that Paul was hoping and longing to hear. And that news was the church in Corinth responded well to his severe letter. And most of the people in the church repented of their sins. They stopped following the false teachers. They returned to God, his truth, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was overjoyed at this uh, reception and this understanding that he'd received from Titus. Titus also said, Paul, you need to understand, however, there is a small minority in the church that refused to repent. They refused to turn back to the gospel of Jesus. They are continuing to follow the false apostles and the false teachers, and they are continuing to undermine everything you did, to undermine everything you taught. They are continuing uh, to work against you and trying to lead the church back away to follow the false, false apostles. And so Paul, at that point, with this understanding, he took time and he sat down and he wrote 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians for three fairly specific and identifiable purposes. First, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to defend his apostleship and to strengthen the faithful members of the church that had come back together again and were continuing the work of ministry that Paul had planted and begun there in Corinth. That covers chapters 1 through 7. Paul wrote a second reason, the letter to the church at Corinth, the second Corinthians, and that was to remind the church that they were to collect an offering that they were to give to Paul when he came to visit them again for the church in Jerusalem because Paul was going to take that offering from them just like he was taking offerings from the other churches and he was going to take it back to Jerusalem and give it to the brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem so that they could continue to have their needs met. That focus point was in chapters 8 and 9. Paul wrote the third purpose which was to confront the false apostles. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to confront the false apostles and to give the small minority of church members an opportunity to repent of their sins and to return to the Lord and to turn away from the false apostles before Paul came for what would have been his third visit. Paul was going to make a third visit, and so he wrote to confront the false apostles, and he wrote to tell the the rebellious church members, the minority, you guys got a little bit more time to repent, get your act together spiritually, come back to the Lord before I come for my third visit. Because Paul said, when I come for my third visit, which we'll see here in a minute, it's going to be a whole lot different than my second visit. And we see this 
was the focal point of chapters 10 through 13. So we pick up the story. We jump into the scene. We now continue on our treasure hunt, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look in verse 1. Now I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent. Paul confronted, here in verse 1, here's what's going on. Paul confronted the false apostles and the rebellious church members by appealing to them in the gentleness and graciousness of Christ Jesus. Gentleness means humility. It means meekness. It means mildness. Graciousness means fairness. It means gentleness. It means mildness. The graciousness and gentleness of Christ. Paul said, I appeal to you in the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. The gentleness and graciousness of Christ is seen all throughout the New Testament in how Jesus showed patience, humility, and love to everyone he came into contact with. Jesus, as you remember, did not seek revenge. He did not retaliate against those who falsely accused him. Jesus did not argue. Jesus did not fight with those who uh, made false accusations and arrested him, with those who disagreed with him, with those who wanted to crucify him. Jesus was gentle and gracious to everyone. Jesus is gentle and gracious to us as he convicts us of our sin, forgives us of our sin, as he loves us, as he continues to grow us in our faith in him and use us in his work. So Paul said this, I, hey, listen, I imitated the gentleness and graciousness of Jesus Christ when I came to you for my second visit. I didn't fight with you. I wasn't harsh with you. I didn't retaliate against you when y'all came against me and you chose not to support me and you turned away from me and you questioned me publicly. I didn't respond in anger. Instead, I imitated the gentleness and graciousness of Christ when I was with you on that second visit. I came in humility with great patience and love. The gentleness and graciousness of Christ is not weakness. Understand, the gentleness and graciousness of Christ Jesus is not weakness. However, the false apostles mistook, they mistook Paul's gentleness, graciousness, and humility for weakness. They mistook it for weakness, and they accused Paul, which we see in the second part of verse 1, they accused Paul in this way, and they said, hey, Paul, you are weak and cowardly when you are with us in person, which they said based on the way he responded to them in the second visit when he was gentle and gracious with them. They saw the gentleness and graciousness, and they said, you're weak and cowardly when you're with us in person, but we, when you are away from us and you're writing to us, you are bold and powerful. You're a big bad dude when you're away from us and you're not right here in our presence and you're writing these severe letters to us. When you're writing after you're far away from us, man, you're a big, bold, and powerful dude, but you are weak and you are cowardly 
when you were here with us in person. Paul talked about this. He knew this was their accusation in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10. If you just look down at verse 10, for it is said, this is Paul. Paul said, for it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful. He's speaking of himself. He's speaking about how the false apostles accuse him. He, for, he said, for it is said by the false apostles, his, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking is despicable. This is what the false apostles were saying. He's a wimp. He's weak. When he's with us, look at how he looks. Look at how he speaks. He speaks. He's not even a trained speaker. It's hard to even understand what he's saying. What a loser this guy is. And yet when he's away from us, oh, he's big. And he's bold. And he's powerful. They were falsely accusing Paul. Paul understood and saw through their manipulation and their lies of these false apostles. And he continued, and he said in verse 2, I beg you that when I'm present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who, are, who think we are walking in a fleshly way. Follow now. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are walking in a fleshly way. Here's what Paul was saying. He, Paul truly loved the church in Corinth, and he loved the rebellious church members in Corinth who had turned away from him, who were no longer supporting him, who were actually following the false apostles. He really loved these brothers and sisters in Christ. He had planted the church there, and he begged them. Here, he's begging them one more time. He's saying, hey, please, please, please repent of your sins. Turn away from the false apostles. Turn back to God's truth. Turn back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn back to what you know that you know that you know that I taught you as I was with you for 18 months. Turn back to the truth. He's begging and pleading with them to turn back. He says, continues there, he says, but if not, he said, I want you to know, when I come the next time, I'm going to boldly challenge the false apostles and everyone who's following them. He's saying, I'm not backing down. He's saying, I'm coming back, and this third time, I'm coming to judge biblically. I'm coming to rebuke. I'm coming to correct, and I'm not holding back. And I'm going to do it face-to-face, -face, in person, in a very public manner. Repent now. Turn back to God now so that when I come, you don't have to deal with that. See, Paul was hoping to avoid this confrontation with the rebellious church members. They went so far as to say here in the second, we see a second accusation in the second verse. They accused Paul, the false apostles and the rebellious church members accused Paul of walking in the flesh. They said they accused him of walking in a fleshly way. He said, I'm going to confront and challenge certain people who think we are walking in a fleshly way. Paul was walking in the spirit, not the flesh. Paul was God's man speaking God's truth to God's people for God's glory. The false apostles and all those who were following him were the ones walking in the flesh, not the spirit. They were the ones who had turned away from God and the truth of God. And so we see this scene starting to unfold, and now we come to verse 3. And here we find 
the treasure of God's truth for you and me. We find it here in these following verses, beginning in verse 3. This amazing treasure, this trove of God's truth for us right here, we find, beginning in verse 3, Paul says this, For although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. So Paul said, when Paul said, for although we are walking in the flesh, he was meaning in a physical way. They were saying that Paul, they were accusing Paul of walking in the flesh in a spiritual and moral way. Paul was saying, for although we are walking in the flesh, meaning in a physical way, Paul, like everyone else, walks and lived in the flesh, in the physical body that God had given him. Every one of us are walking in the flesh in a physical sense. We have this earthly tent of flesh that God's given us. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have been changed by God, by His grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. But we still have this earthly tent of flesh, this side of heaven, that we walk and we live in. And so Paul was saying, for although we are walking in the flesh, meaning in a physical sense, we're, we're walking in the flesh, just like everybody else is walking in the flesh. He said, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. Paul's use of war here is a reference to spiritual warfare. Paul's use of war is in a reference to spiritual warfare. Paul said, we do not engage in the battle of spiritual warfare in a fleshly way. Now remember, spiritual warfare from last week, our, our definition of spiritual warfare is the battle we face as we live for Jesus. The battle we face each day as we live for Jesus. The battle we wage and face each day as we live for Jesus. This is spiritual warfare. And Paul said, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. Paul said, we do not engage in the battle of spiritual warfare. I do not wage war in a fleshly way. Paul said, I do not engage in spiritual warfare against the false apostles and the enemies of God in my ability, my strength, my wisdom, my thoughts, and my words. Paul said that would be engaging in a spiritual battle in fleshly ways. That doesn't work. We don't engage in a spiritual battle in fleshly ways with fleshly weapons. Paul said, I don't, we, don't engage, we don't engage in warfare. We don't wage war in a fleshly way. And we don't either, you and I, we don't engage in the battle of spiritual warfare. We shouldn't attempt to engage in the battle of spiritual warfare against our enemy, Satan, and his lies, accusations, temptations, and doubts in our ability, our strength, our wisdom, our thoughts, and our words. We don't engage in the battle of spiritual warfare in a fleshly manner. We don't do that, but instead we see in verse 4, and we continue to see this treasure become more and more clear to us. Paul said, we don't wage war in a fleshly way since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? Man, he says, since we, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. And he continues, we demolish arguments. So here's what Paul said. Paul said, we do not engage in the battle of spiritual warfare with fleshly weapons from ourselves such as Pride, manipulation, resentment, revenge, selfishness, anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, 
or the use of our words and our influence to hurt others and insult others and put others down. Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, you see, here's what we do. We battle the battle of spiritual warfare. We engage in spiritual warfare with our weapons from God because they're powerful through God to demolish strongholds. That's how we engage in the battle of spiritual warfare. What Paul is saying to us here is we engage in the battle of spiritual warfare with the weapons we have from God by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. What he's saying is he's pointing us back to what he said last week as we looked at it in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. What we understand and realize that Paul is saying here is we engage in the battle of spiritual warfare in the Lord's strength, not ours. We engage in the battle of the spiritual warfare on a day-by-day basis against our enemy Satan and his lies, accusations, temptations, and doubts with our weapons from God, which means we are then to put on the belt of truth, and we're to take up and put on our breastplate of righteousness. And each morning we get up, we're to slide on our gospel of peace shoes. We're to take up our shield of faith. We're to put on the helmet of salvation. And we're to take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which demolishes and smashes and tears down every stronghold of Satan's lies, accusations, temptations, and doubts. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare as we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare as we walk in obedience to God. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare as we are walking in dependence upon God. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare as we walk by faith in God. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare as we walk keeping our eyes fixed on God. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare as we walk speaking the truth of God in love. You see, we use our weapons from God because they're powerful through God to demolish, tear down the strongholds and fortresses that have held us captive. Here's what Paul is saying. When others come against us, when others ridicule us, insult us, and make fun of us, when others leave us out, when others ignore us and forget about us, when others try to say or do things to cause us harm, when others speak about us behind our backs, when others say things that aren't true about us to those around us, when others constantly want to fight and argue with us, when others are mean and rude to us, we do not respond in a fleshly way. We don't respond with fleshly weapons. No When that happens, we respond with our weapons from God. We respond with our spiritual weapons from God, such as evangelism and encouragement and forgiveness and faith and grace and generosity and humility and kindness and love and mercy and obedience and peace and patience and in prayer for those to draw near to Jesus, in prayer for those who are opposing us to see and hear the love and light of Jesus through us so they might be drawn by faith to Jesus. And when we respond with our spiritual weapons from God, as we respond in this way, the strongholds of anger and bitterness 
and hatred and hurt and resentment and unforgiveness and doubts and questions and pain which used to hold us captive are demolished. They come falling down, which allows us to step out and walk in the freedom and the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. We don't walk in hurt and resentment and anger and in ways of thinking how we can get back at that person for what they're saying and what they're doing to us. We instead simply respond, not in the fleshly way, we respond in our spiritual weapons with God. We respond with forgiveness. We respond with grace. We respond in love. We respond in prayer for them. And as we do, every step, second we do that, and we respond that, those strongholds that used to hold us back, that used to keep us captive in our minds, that used to dominate our thoughts, that used to consume us, that used to discourage us, that used to depress us, that used to wear us out and beat us up, that used to just keep us enslaved and chained to the hurt and to the pain and to the questions and the doubts that others are causing. Those strongholds are now torn down. And we are free to walk in the victory and the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. See, this is what Paul was saying to these false apostles as he confronted them, but even more so as he was speaking to those church members whom he loved and who knew him. And they were the ones that, that had responded to the truth as he planted the church. They had wandered away from the truth, and he was encouraging them to come back to the truth. So let's... Let's look at a few truths that Paul shares with us about this treasure. Just a few truths. Number one, our battle is spiritual, not physical. Our battle is spiritual, not physical. As Paul said, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. Our battle is spiritual. It's not physical. We do not engage in warfare in a physical way. We engage in warfare in a spiritual way. Our war that we're engaged in is spiritual, not physical. We understand, as followers of Jesus Christ, that whether we understand it, like it, or, or want to be in it, we're in the battle of spiritual warfare. Our enemy is Satan and his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We understand, as followers of Jesus Christ, God is at work in us and Satan is at work on us, trying to undo everything that God's doing, trying to do in and through and around us. We understand as well as followers of Jesus Christ the great and exciting news, which is we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory because we've already won the victory by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We have the victory in Jesus. And at times, what happens is though we are victors in Christ Jesus, overcomers in Christ Jesus, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, we get locked away in the strongholds and fortresses of our mind and our thoughts because we are trying to engage in a spiritual battle through fleshly ways. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Our battle is spiritual, not physical. Therefore, we know the second point he was making is our weapons are spiritual, not physical. Our weapons are spiritual, not physical. Paul said, listen, we don't wage war in a fleshly way. When we try to use our fleshly weapons, such as our ability, our strength, our wisdom, our thoughts, and our words, in the battle of spiritual warfare, we lose. 
But when we use our spiritual weapons from God, we win. Why? Because they're powerful through God to enable and allow us to demolish the strongholds that once held us captive. David, our Old Testament friend, is a great example of this truth that that Paul was writing about here to these believers. He's a great example of this truth. David, as we, you know the story, he's battling against Goliath. David, the, the representative uh, from the armies of Israel, the, the Israelite army, he was the representative uh, going into this battle against Goliath, the Philistine. And uh, I want to read this. If you want to turn to your left, you can turn real quick to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17 is where we'll be. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to come onto this scene because this clearly identifies what Paul is talking about here. Our battle is spiritual, not physical, and our weapons are spiritual, not physical. And we see this in the testimony of this scene uh, back in the Old Testament, David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. We'll begin reading in verse 42. We read verse 42 and following, and we pick up with Goliath. In verse 42, this is how Goliath sees the scene. And we see this. When the Philistine Goliath looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine Goliath called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. Now, needless to know, we all realize this dude was nine foot tall and ugly and big and strong. Could you imagine hearing that and seeing that? But watch this. Verse 45, this is exactly what Paul was saying. David said to the Philistine Goliath, you come against me with a dagger, spear, and sword. You come against me with physical weapons. He said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him. He said, hey, big ugly, you come against me with physical weapons. But guess what? I'm coming against you with spiritual weapons. He said, today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down. I'll cut your head off and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear, by physical weapons that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Now that's some good stuff, isn't it? Woo, that'll light your fire. That'll warm you up this morning on a cold morning. Goliath thought the battle was physical. The Philistines thought the battle was physical. The Philistine soldiers all thought the battle was physical. The Israelites thought the battle was physical. King Saul of Israel thought the battle was physical. David's brothers The Israelite soldiers thought the battle was physical. David, the young man, David, the young boy, David, the teenager, 
was the only one who knew the battle wasn't physical. David knew the battle was spiritual, not physical. David understood his weapons were spiritual, not physical. David didn't go up against Goliath with a dagger, spear, or sword. David went up against Goliath in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And we know exactly what happened. David's spiritual weapons from God were powerful through God to demolish the giant Goliath. Our battle today is spiritual. It's not physical. Our weapons are spiritual. They're not physical. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare in the name of the Lord our God by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is, we are weak, but He is strong. Amen? Say that with me. We are weak, but He is strong. One more time. We are weak, but He is strong. We lose in our ability, our strength, our words, our thoughts, our wisdom. We win in the Lord and in His vast strength. So let's renew our commitment this morning not to engage in the battle of spiritual warfare in a fleshly way. Let's renew our commitment this morning to use our spiritual weapons from God because they're powerful through God to demolish the strongholds that have held us captive, the strongholds in our minds, the strongholds of our thoughts that has held us captive and that has kept us from being able to walk in the freedom and the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let's put on the armor that God has given to us so that we can take our stand against the tactics of the devil. Let's be strengthened in the Lord and by his vast strength. Let's respond by using his weapons of forgiveness and grace and humility and love and kindness and mercy and patience and peace. And let's make sure we're praying and praying and praying as we engage each day in the battle of spiritual warfare in the name of the Lord our God by our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team's gonna come and lead us in this time. 